If you have your Bibles this morning and you would, open them up or turn them on to 2 Samuel 23. Uh, this is quickly coming to an end, 2 Samuel. Some of you are saying, goodness gracious, I am so glad to be out of the book of death and all of the violence and stuff. Uh, so either next week or two weeks from now will be our last week, uh, and so we will be completing this book. Also, if you have your Bible, you would find Matthew chapter 7. We'll be reading from there for just a moment. The title of the sermon this morning is, What Does the Evidence Show? Hopefully, you have not had to spend a lot of time in court uh, being the defendant or um, being the one on trial. Uh, but if you've watched a lot of uh, TV shows with the law involved, you know that evidence is important. And uh, they will say things like, the evidence shows. And that is always a reference to their point of view. The evidence proves what I'm telling you. The evidence proves what we're trying to accomplish. And it's very important. The evidence truly makes the difference. But in our lives, I have a question that I want us all to think about this morning what does the evidence of our life show? Does the evidence of our life show that we love our families? Does the evidence of our life show that we love God? All of us in every story that is ever told are the heroes. If we are to look at our lives, we are very guilty of lying to ourselves. That I'm a great husband, that I'm a great father, that I'm a, a great believer, that I'm a great church member. But if you and I are honest, the easiest person it is to lie to is ourself. And we are guilty of that greatly. But ultimately, the evidence is there. For instance, if I was to ask you some great teams, so in baseball, what would you use to evaluate great teams? World Series titles, World Series appearances. And so, when you go to great programs, you think of New York, you think of St. Louis. When you think of programs that don't win very often, or go hundreds of years without winning, or very rarely get there, you would say the evidence shows that a bad team would be the Cubs. Amen. Now, you might like the Cubs. That, nothing wrong with that. You know, you can be weird. That's not a problem. But the evidence shows that St. Louis, New York, the quality is there. Maybe some of you remember America's Funniest Home Videos. Well, if you have YouTube, you can take that and put that on steroids. Because you can find the most epic fails of anything that you want. If it's someone riding a bike, you can watch epic failures. Someone skateboarding, epic failures. If you want to watch someone just do dumb things, you can watch it. On there, but you can also watch videos of some of the greatest things, some of the most remarkable things. You've all heard debates about who's the greatest basketball player ever, who's the greatest golfer. We look at the evidence to prove that. And today I want to ask you this simple question Does what you believe and the evidence of your life match? Does your family, does my family really believe? What we're selling. One of the most awkward and the most greatest joys of being a pastor is hearing these, this sentence. Does so-and-so attend your church? My first response is always, it's not mine. All right, I'm not claiming that circus, all right? No, <laughs> I serve there, but it's the Lord's, all right? It's the Lord's church. He's the only one that can fix it. And someone will say a name. 
And they'll be like, I heard so-and-so goes out there. And sometimes it's a great joy. I'm like, oh, absolutely. Man, they're there all the time. They have been nothing but a blessing. Man, they are so talented. They are, they are nothing but a blessing. But it gets awkward. Sometimes when someone say, hey, does so-and-so go out there? I'll be like, once in a while. No, I don't, I don't say that. Or I'll say, oh, man, if you only knew. It's just true. You probably say the same thing about me. And in those moments, it's always like, yes, they do, and, and we're so thankful God has them there for a reason. I don't know it, but he has no. I'm, I'm kidding. It's a joke. But it's very awkward because the evidence doesn't always line up. And when we come to chapter 23, starting in verses 8, King David writes to us a list of some of the greatest individuals in his kingdom. These are individuals who had done great things for God things that were supernatural, some things that were amazing. And he does this to remind us of this simple truth, that God is willing to work in our lives if we'll let him. God is willing to work in our marriages if we'll let him. God is willing to work through this church if we will let him. You say, Jake, are you really going to read all of these verses at some point this morning? Yes. The Bible says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. But if you found Matthew chapter 7 with me, I want to read this together because I want us to see that the fruit or the evidence is the example of who we are in Christ. You can talk a good game. You can talk about the things of God. You can talk about being a good husband. You can talk about being a good parent. But the evidence... Is what matters. And so in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's word, and you don't have to do this. I know well that I'm not going to tell you what to do. But every time you see fruit in this passage of scripture, if you would say that out with me, I would greatly appreciate it. Starting in verse 15 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good but a bad tree bears bad. A good tree cannot bear bad, nor can a bad tree bear good. Every tree that does not bear good is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their you will know them. Thank you for indulging that. If you would, pray with me. Father, today we come just asking for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be at work in this place. And Father, help us to each and every one under the conviction, leadership of the Holy Spirit, evaluate our lives, our marriages, our homes, your church. Lord, help us to see if there is any evidence to what we believe. Not perfect, but true evidence. Father, I ask that you would only be glorified today, not me. Lord, you know my wickedness, my sin, my shame, my struggles. And Lord, I just pray that you would not allow me to hinder what you're trying to do in this place. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. As we're looking at this text today in 2 Samuel chapter 23, I want to just show you three things this morning about evidence 
in our lives, evidence in our marriage. The first is this. God wins the victories and allows us to be involved. God wins the victories and allows us to be involved. Starting in verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had made. Josheb Bashabeth, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adonai, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. What a name, right? The Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines, who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until he was weary, and his hand stuck to the sword. And don't miss this sentence. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. Here's that sentence again. So the Lord brought about a great victory. As we look at these verses, it's all about what had been done for the kingdom. What had been done for David. These great victories that had been won. And when you read that, you say, wow, that man single-handedly defeated 800 enemy forces. It's almost like a superhero movie. You go on down there, and the next guy, right, the entire army abandoned him. And he continued to fight all alone. And fought so successful that after the enemy was defeated, everybody came back for the spoils of war. The third guy, as the army retreated, he found a spot where everyone had to go through and he held that spot and fought the enemy as they continually came at him. These are three instances of people who did things that could not have been done on their own. They were instances where God engaged with this person, gave them the power to accomplish something great. But don't miss the fact that even though these individuals did great things, God was the one who won the victory. And I say that this morning because so many times we look at our lives and say, well, I'm not qualified, or I'm not talented, or I'm not wealthy enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I've got too big of a past. I cannot do great things for God. But what we see here is that God only needs willing people. People who are willing to be used by Him and for His glory. That means if you want things to change in your marriage, husbands and wives, the only thing keeping that from happening is you. Parents, if you want to see a change in your children and in your home and when they're little, the only thing keeping that from happening is you. As a church, if we want to see God do things through us, if we want to see us push back darkness and reach the lost and work in the broken and care for the widows and care for the orphans, it is only us who is grieving what God is wanting to do. You say, Jake, that's not true. These people were special. They were, they were the best of the best. You are mistaken. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, the Bible tells us what kind of people followed King David. The kind of people that joined up to his army. 
Most of them are the men that you are reading about here in this text. And this is how they are described in the Bible. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. His family, first and foremost. That's the only people at first. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with them. These are people that were running from somebody. Whether they were running from their family, whether they were running from the law, whether they were enemies of Saul, those people came to David. People who were in debt, people who wouldn't pay their bills, untrustworthy liars, they came and followed David. The third category there, discontented. That means they were just grouchy and miserable and unhappy. That's the band of people that came to follow David. And yet here we read about these same people doing things that can only be described as miracles. And the question is why? Because friends, when you come to the king, the king changes everything. And we're not talking in the New Testament about King David. We're talking about the king of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, it doesn't matter if you come from nothing. It doesn't matter if your family name is ruined. It doesn't matter if your reputation is checkered and broken and embarrassing. If you will come to King Jesus and let Him forgive you, let Him change you, let Him work through you, there is nothing that God cannot accomplish through you. Wow, that was really bad on your end. Because I know some of you, and some of you know me. Some of you knew me before God got a hold of me, and I knew you before God got a hold of you. And if it wasn't for Him, there would be nothing good in you or in I. And that's the question I ask you this morning. Do you really know who you are in Christ? Can you honestly say to today that I know I'm a sinner? I know I have fallen short of the glory of God. I know that I bring nothing good to this, but I believe that if I will humble myself and make myself willing, that God will use me. God will use me as a husband to my wife. God will use me as the father that He wants me to be to my children. God can use this church to reach McLeansboro and Dale and Dahlgren and Carmi and Wayne City and Mount Vernon and El Dorado and Thompsonville and even Broughton. Even Walpole, right? I, you have to believe that God can work through His people, that your fears and your insecurities and your failures and your past does not have to keep you from being used by God. Today, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you've done, if you can find forgiveness through Jesus, which is freely offered, friends, everything can change. Everything can be different. David's mighty men were nobodies when they got there. But God used them to be somebodies. Those men who showed up that were no good, God used them to do great good. And His method has not changed. He has not stopped working through broken people, through weak people, through insecure people, through people who feel like they're failures. Today, God will win the victories and He will let you be involved. 
God will let you join Him. Did you read these three? These are absolutely amazing. And you say, Jake, I, I, I don't think God would want me to do something that big. Maybe not. But why does God do such amazing things in the Scripture? To show you that your enemies aren't really that big compared to Him. And the tasks that He has asked you to do aren't that overwhelming compared to what He's already done. Friends, you might say, well, I can't forgive that person. I, I just can't, I can't love that person. I can't, I can't work with that person. None of that is too big for God. I can't worship with that person. I can't reach out to that person. None of it's too big for God. John 16, verse 33 tells us why. These things I have spoken to you that in me, only in Jesus, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's already won. All the power and all the authority that God has can be used to accomplish His purposes. Is that how you pray? When you go into your prayer closet and you begin to pray for your lost family and friends, do you really pray believing that God has the power to save them, to redeem them? to change them? When you pray for your marriage that seems to be falling apart, that seems like it's not going to make it, are you really praying, believing, God, I know that you can change my heart. God, I know that you can change their heart. When you pray for people to be healed, do you really pray, believing that God can? Now, will He always do that? Absolutely not the way we think He will. But you have to believe that He can. Believe that He is who He says He is. The power is what He says He is. What has happened in our lives, let's be honest. We give lip service that God can, but deep down we don't believe that He will. We don't believe that He is still doing. That's why we don't worship. That's why we don't share. That's why we don't witness. We're hindered by the fear that God is going to leave us all to our own. That God's going to leave us in our own strength, our own power. If I ever get to a point where I think that God is not with me while I'm doing this, I'm out of it. Because I've seen the stupid things that I can say when I begin to let myself think and begin to let myself think. Speak. See? Right there. Because why? I have to believe that when I show up and I've prayed and I've sought God's face and I've got God's word and the Spirit of the Lord is at work, that God can change you as cold and as dead as you seem. That God can save and work as hard and as distant as you seem. Why? Because that's who God is. That's how I believe that God is able. second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is God wants us to be involved but He also wants us to be obedient. God wants us to be involved, but He wants us to be obedient. And so this is quite a bit of reading, so just make sure you see the miracles as they are going on. Starting in verse 13, it says, Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. What happens is David is in a cave. David is longing for some water from where he grew up. 
the problem is there is a Philistine army in Bethlehem. And there's no way to get to Bethlehem. And so if you're married and you've ever heard your wife said, boy, I would love to have new cabinets. Or boy, I would love to have a different color bathroom. What you know, she says, is do it, right? But that's not the case here. He's just longing for that. But these three men, listen to their integrity and their willingness to serve. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. They went and got it. They fought through a whole garrison for this water. Nevertheless, he would not drink it. Now just stop right there for a minute. If you're like me, you're thinking, what in the heck? You mean I risked everything for this, but don't miss it. It's very, very special. But poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. What David said was, Your service and your sacrifice was so honoring that I don't deserve it. Only God should. I'm not going to drink this. We're going to make this an offering to God. I want to ask yourself this question. Have you ever looked at your life and thought that's how I'm serving God? I, I, would, I would do anything that he asked me to. I would risk anything if God asked me to. I would leave anything behind if God asked me to. <coughs> and at some point, when your children are talking about you before the funeral, when you're leaving this world, what are they going to be saying? Man, my parents loved me even when I was hard to love. Man, my mom and dad bailed me out of jail when no one else would. My mom and dad helped me get set up after my marriage failed. Man, my parents were there for me in some of my most difficult times. Man, my parents loved the Lord, and they lived it at home. What about the people you work with? Not how they talk to you on your retirement party. We loved working with you, but it's better to see you go. But when you're not there, man, I don't agree with that guy, but man, that guy has got joy that I don't understand. Man, he was a good employee. Man, he was faithful. He didn't gossip and backbite like everybody else. He didn't complain every day. Man, that guy had something different. That's what David is saying. David is saying there is a way to serve God. There is a way to honor God in the way that we live, the way that we live out our faith, the commitment that we have that honors God, that honors God more than any man could ever hope to be honored. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of three? Therefore he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds... He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Now you know it had to be of the Lord if some guy goes out on a snowy day looking for a pit to kill something. 
And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. So he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Jehoah did, and won a name among the three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. You see, as David is writing these and the Spirit of God is leading him, David is remembering all these times when someone tried to kill him, when an army tried to overthrow him, when his own family tried to destroy him. And he's writing about all the ways that God used these people to protect him and to protect the kingdom and to make sure that Israel was the strong nation that it was supposed to be. Some of you can probably do the same thing in your life. Look back and think, man, I was looking for that first job, and man, I didn't have a degree, and man, so-and-so, man, they gave me my first job. I don't know where I would have been at with them. I recently went to a funeral with a guy who worked at the bank, and I bet a hundred times I heard, I didn't have any money, couldn't buy my house, but I called up to the bank, and he gave me a loan even though I probably shouldn't have got it. How many times could you look back in your life and say, man, I didn't have very many friends, but that friend when I had cancer, they were the one that was there. Man, when my wife and I were having trouble, that was the one that was there. That's what David's doing. And he's just talking about all the ways that these people were just ordinary and normal, but yet when they let God use them, they did things that were only capable by the power of God. And friends, you might not need someone to come show up at your house and kill an Egyptian or fight a bear. But I can tell you what, there are people in your life that are facing supernatural problems that need a touch from God. And they need someone to show up who is filled with the Spirit, who speaks for God, who knows the Word of God, who knows how to be used by God and can be used by God to forever change the future of that person. Our community needs that. Our county doesn't have an economic problem, doesn't have marriage problems, it has spiritual problems. It all starts with the problem of sin. And we have the answer, that is the gospel, the word of God, a savior who loves each and every one of them. It goes on and it lists a few more and I will try to read quickly. Ashel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Elohan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. Shammah, the Herodite. Elika of Herodite. And no, these aren't people with a full head of hair, even though I wish it was the case. It goes on and says here, Zalman, the Ahite. Marai, the Nephtalite. Helab, the son of Benai, the Nephtalite. Ittai, the son of Rebi, from Gibeah, from the children of Benjamin. Benaiah of Pirathonite, Hadai from the brooks of Geshon, Abai Albon the Arbite, Asmathoth from Barite, Elabiah the Shalbanite, the sons of Jashon, Jonathan, Shema the Herite, Ahiam the son of Shahar the Herite, Eliphat the son of Abashai, the son of Micite, Eliam the son of Ahithophel the Gilanite, Herzai the Carmelite, Perai the Arbite, Igal the son of Nathan of Zobah, Bani the Gadite, Zelekai the Ammonite, Naharai the Barathite, armor-bearer of Joab the son of Zariah, Aiah the Urtite, and Gareb the Itrite. Now you say, honestly, how many of you reading your Bible at home would have skipped over every one of those names? There was nothing special about them, was it? 
It didn't even say what they did. But why is it important? Because every one of these people was fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And while their deeds are not recorded in this book, David knew what they had done. David knew how they had changed their life. And friends, in your life, you might say, Jake, I'm not a pastor. I'm not the deacon. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I don't have a lot of money. I don't feel like I have a lot of talents. But friends, if you will be used by God, while this world might not ever recognize how God uses you, God knows. And God has a purpose for you and a plan for you. You need to remember that even though the world might not celebrate, the church might not recognize, if you will be who God has asked you to be, wherever he has you planted, you are sowing seed. You are being used by God. The thing that I like about this, though, is that every one of these people went and did something. They didn't sit and wait. The church and our society as a whole is suffering because we have become lazy. We wait for everything to come to us. Oh, I don't want to work in vacation Bible school, and as long as no one asks me, I won't. And even if they ask me three times, I'll probably say no. But if they ask a fourth time, God, I know it's from you. I know I should work in the nursery. There's nothing wrong with me. I really could do it. I know I should do it. I, really, I, I know that, that we want to pray for little babies and we pray for young families, but oh, I just don't want to go in there. But God, if they ask me 19 times, I know it's coming from you. And that 20th time, I'm on board. What has happened is we have raised a generation that sit in their basement and play video games and have no ambition to accomplish anything and that has seeped into the life of the church. But all of these people saw a need and they didn't wait for it. They went to it. And friends, if you want to be the husband that God wants you to be, stop waiting for your wife to get right. Wives, if you want to be the wife that God wants you to be, quit waiting for your husband to get right. Parents, if you want your kids to be who God wants them to be, quit waiting for them to be more agreeable. Stand up today and say, I believe that God has me here for a purpose. I believe that God has me here for a reason. I believe that God loves me. God has given me all of the, Him that I need, and I'm going to work. I'm going to work for the Lord in my family, in my marriage, in my church, in my community. I'm not going to stand by and watch Satan devour everything. I'm going to make a choice that I'm going to do something while God's got me here. And if that would just start to happen, everything would change. You know how exciting I was? Not a move at all. Not even an amen. All we're talking about is changing the future of your family. Changing the future of your children. Changing the future of your community. Changing the future of your church by the power of God. Eh. Somebody else can do it. Somebody else can go. Somebody else can be used. Friends, what I want you to know is that'll be the death of a marriage. It'll be the death of a church. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. God gave us our gifts to be used and to be used often. 1 Peter chapter 4 says it like this, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It means I should be looking for ways to bless other people. When I go to work, I'm looking for people to bless. When I come to church, I'm looking for people to bless. 
When I'm walking through Family Dollar, I'm looking for people to bless. When I walk in from a hard day's work and I'm grouchy and I'm tired, I'm looking for people to bless. When my kids come up to me and I'm tired and I'm trying to get some work done and I'm trying to finish up a sermon, I'm trying to be a blessing. We've got to start looking that God has us where He has us for a reason. That people are hurting, that people are broken, that people are struggling. And God has been good to us. And God has sent us with a purpose. You say, I'm not doing that. Uh, When I go to work, I go to work. And when I go home and get on my phone, that's my time. Look up here. You will never do anything for God that matters. You have to have a desire to say, God, I want to be used by you. I want to make a difference. I want there to be evidence in my life, God, that you were all over me. All over this family. Galatians 6, verse 7 through 9 tells us how not to give up when it seems that no one wants to go with us. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Hey, you're going to be going against the grain. If you go to work and tell those guys that are so busy complaining about their wives and all that's wrong with them and all that's changed about them, and you say, you know what, I got one Bahama mama at my house. Everything might not look the same, be the same, but I'm loving her more now than I ever have. Why? Because God has changed me. They're going to look at you like you are a fruit, not a spiritual good fruit. And that's all right. You try to do the right thing when everybody's selfish about their families and about their stuff. I'm telling you what, you'll look squirrely. But you'll have the blessing and power of God. And as a church, if you'll do the right thing, I mean really the right thing that no one else wants to do. Like not forsake the assembly of believers. Like worship in spirit and truth. Like preaching and believing this book. Friends, they're going to mock us. They're going to laugh at us. But it always gives me a great joy when God does something. I'm like, you told me so. You've got to believe that's the case. Third and final thing, and I know it's a little longer than usual. I'm sorry. God views success and faithfulness different than we do. If you've heard nothing I say, do not miss this. Look at verse 39. This whole section about battles and victories and war and all the success. And David writes, King David and Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. Now, Bible commentators have two opinions. One, this is a different Uriah. Don't listen to that nonsense, that's stupidity. Or, this is Uriah. And Uriah was married to who? David's greatest moment of failure is listed in the chapter of victory. Well, that don't make no sense. I can promise you, if I was writing this, it wouldn't be in there. I would have skipped it totally. But why is it in there? I'm glad that you asked. For two reasons. One, Uriah was a godly, faithful man. He was faithful to King David. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to his wife. 
and he ended up murdered. Sometimes success doesn't look like the way you want it to. Friends, sometimes you will do everything God wants you to do and that spouse of yours doesn't want to reconcile. Sometimes you can be faithful at church and they'll still talk bad about you at the coffee shop. You can be the one employee that is trying to do what's right, trying to do faithful, and they'll give the promotion to someone else. I want to be the guy in the story that kills 800. I want to be the guy that has a battle so long that you can't even move your hand because your hand's like, oh, I can't, I'm cramps. I, I want to be that guy in the story. But sometimes, friends, we're the Uriah. And you know what? God sees the struggle. And your value does not weighed in the results. And so today, if you're here and you are overwhelmed, if you feel like you've been beat down, if you feel like you're the persecuted and you've been faithful to God, God knows. And God has not forgotten you. You're not any less valuable than all of these other people that did great things for God. You're still on the list. Your name is still written in the Lamb's book of life. God still has a mansion built for you. Even if you're not the next Billy Graham. Even if you're not the great world famous missionary. Even if it's just, hey, I'm going to stay home and be the mother that God wants me to be to my children. I'm going to be the grandma or grandpa that God wants me to be. But the second reason is this. Our failures should humble us, but not hinder us. I don't know who said it, but it's become one of my favorite quotes. Don't miss that. Our failures should not humble us, or should humble us, but not hinder us. You see, David adds this, and you have to be thinking, oh, what an idiot. What was I thinking? But friends, it's a reminder that our failures don't define us. And friends, you might have been struggling with something. You might look back and think of all the ways that you failed God. You're probably saying, well, I can't be used by God because of my, my sin or my wickedness or my past. And what David wants you to be reminded of is that God is willing to show mercy if you want it. God can use you after a great failure if you'll let him. God can use you after rock bottom if you let him. God can pick you up, put you where he wants you. Even if you've slept with another man's wife, you've had him murdered, you've had him it all covered up. God can forgive. Friends, that should give us hope that God can use someone like me. God can use someone like you. God can use an imperfect church like us. Listen to how Uriah was viewed in the Bible. David had gotten Bathsheba pregnant. He's like, I got to cover this up. I'll bring him home. He brings him home. He says, go in and enjoy your wife. Go in and really enjoy her. He was hoping she'd, that everybody would think that he was the father. But Uriah wouldn't go in. Uriah said, everybody else is out under the wilderness. I'm not going in. Listen to what the Bible says and I'll be done. 2 Samuel 11. And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife as you live? And as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Impeccable integrity. So much so that the next night David gets him as drunk as possible. 
Ken says, now go home. And he still wouldn't do it. And so David has him sent to the front of a battle. And when it's at its fiercest, the army pulls back and he's murdered. Friends, today I want to encourage you because you might be right there on the wall all by yourself. God has not forgotten you. Or you might be the one that sent that person to the wall. And God can forgive you. You see, the only thing that grieves the Spirit of God, that quenches the Spirit of God, is the sin of God's people. You want to know why worship's not good? It ain't God. It's right here. You want to know why your Bible study time's not good? It ain't God. It's right here. You want to know why we come to church and we don't enjoy it, we don't worship, we don't serve like we used to? It's right here. You say, well, I don't like Jake. I don't like Jake most of the time. I don't like Jamie. I don't like my Sunday school teacher. I don't like that it's crowded. I don't like this. Look up here. Jesus is the focus. And when he becomes the focus, I don't like my wife. I don't like my husband. You're probably not very likable either. But you've got to say, God, I believe you can do something amazing in my life. God, I believe it. I believe that you have something in store for us. And so today, what does that mean for you? First of all, if you're here and you're lost... You need to be saved. You are a sinner in need of salvation. Jesus died for you. He loves you. And if you will repent and call upon His name, you will be saved, the Bible says. If you're saved but you're sitting here today going, Jake, I've really slipped in my faith. I've slipped in my commitment to the Lord. Man, I don't serve God at all anymore. I'm just kind of patiently coasting to glory. Today, you need to get along with God and say, God, you didn't call me to retire. You called me to serve. You call me to be used for your glory. And what does that look like? Or today, if you're here and you've got it all figured out, man, you're saved, you're serving, everything is perfect, then I want to ask you to pray for others. God, would you raise up missionaries? Would you raise up pastors? Would you protect the marriages that are sitting next to you? God, would you pray for uh, work in my kids' life and my grandkids' life? God, I, I know that if you don't do it, It won't get done. But God, let this be a church that says we believe that he can. And we want to be a part of when he does. Pray with me this morning as you stand. Father, we thank you for your word. It's not my words, but yours. And Father, I am guilty. You know I struggle with having a defeated attitude, with being discouraged, with always seeing the faults. But God, today I pray that you'd help me to believe who you are and what your word says. Father, I pray for that man, woman, boy, or girl that's here today that's lost, that's never truly called upon your name as the Lord and Savior of their life. Father, I pray for that believer that knows they're saved, but God, things have slept into their heart and their life. Lord, they're just drifting and they're 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 allowing things to keep them from you today, God, that they would step out in faith and follow you totally. And Father, for that person that's where you want them to be, that you would show them that we're not to live this life alone, that there are others who need their touch, their blessing, their their wisdom that, that you can impart through them. Help them to be used for your glory. God, whatever other needs there are, today I pray that this would be an honest place 
of humility, forgiveness, and an attitude of welcoming and loving. And Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.